Today we not only read that story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, but we also reflect back on our recent studies in Galatians. For the studies in Galatians and what happened on that Holy Week have similar value systems in crisis. Because it didn't just stop with Jesus' crucifixion. The people who were there to crucify Jesus were there to crucify the apostles, including Paul. And there to make trouble for the church. And the ghosts of them are here to make trouble today. If you look around, you might see some of them. Only kidding. We want to read from John chapter 12 and Galatians chapter 6. Many faithful Jews learned that Jesus was at the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They came there not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. The chief priests who had decided to kill Jesus decided that they would also kill Lazarus too. Now, how would you like to have been raised from the dead to be killed again? That's a bit of the irony of the moment. It was because Lazarus, of Lazarus that many of the Jewish followers had deserted the leaders and come to believe in Jesus. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they shouted, Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and just as it is written, Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. After Jesus was glorified, they remembered the connection between the things written about him and the things that had been done to him. Disciples are a little slow at times. The crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were talking about him all the time. That's why the crowds came to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign that he had done. Therefore, the Pharisees said to each other, See, we've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world is following him. Galatians 6. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law. But they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation is everything. The words of the Lord. 
You see, those who wanted to restrict the pattern of Jesus because he was becoming so popular also wanted to restrict the pattern of Paul and the Galatian church. Beware of moments when you try to act out this ride of Jesus to freedom. Jesus is the progenitor of freedom writing. At the age of 16, I had just gotten my driver's license, and my parents had decided they would let me out one night to drive to a concert as long as I was on my own. And so I got into my dad's 1957 Buick Century. If you remember that car, it had a huge 364 cubic inch V8 300 horsepower engine in it. And when it was on, you could feel the vibration. There were four portals on each fender to let you know that this was the most powerful engine Buick made. And some of the ways they advertised that car was, it's a dream to drive, it gives you the power to take it easy. So I was going out to a choral concert at Cal State San Fernando, and I was on my own, and it was pretty quiet on the streets that night, and I was making a right-hand turn into a frontage road near the college, and there was the siren and the red lights behind me. Beware of taking your freedom ride for the first time at night in a Buick Century that goes thump, 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 thump. <laughs> so I pulled over to the side, and I had that sinking feeling. I was in trouble, but I couldn't figure out why. I'd stopped at the red light. I had turned right. I had proceeded then into the frontage road, and the policeman came up to me, and he said, you know, you ran that red light. You're not supposed to proceed through the intersection on a red light. I said, but officer, I turned right and went into a right-hand street. He said, no, it doesn't count in that case. I'm giving you a ticket. And you need to appear with your dad because you're only 16 years old. Beware of freedom rides that get you in trouble with the law. So a few weeks later, my dad and I went to court. I was very nervous about that. I just learned how to drive, and I really was trying to respect the law. And we got in front of the judge, and I thought, how did I end up here at 16 in front of a judge? It wasn't a happy moment. And then the judge proceeded to say, young man, why are you here? I said, because the officer said I ran a red light. He says, well, I'm here to tell you you didn't. I'm throwing this ticket out. I don't like that officer, and you're dismissed. <laughs> so I experienced Palm Sunday, Holy Week, and the resurrection around that whole <laughs> movement of going out on my first freedom right alone. In 1961, in the civil rights movement in the South, 
Men and women, African-American and white, took freedom rides to the South to protest segregation on buses and in bathrooms. It happened all year long in 1961, and there was great dissonance in this country around that. They were protesting an evil of oppression in the South. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. They were confronted by police, attacked by mobs, put through horrific violence, harassed, beaten, and some were even burned, sent to hospitals, thrown in prisons, and some of those prison moments were in isolation without any clothes on. It was a rough time for freedom riders. They were in civil disobedience. They were saying no to what they believed were poor laws that were hurting other human beings. Now, I put it in that context because sometimes we forget that Jesus' ride in Jerusalem was loaded politically. I don't think he had political motivation to the left or the right doing it, but he had God motivation for confronting the bad patterns of humanity for wrecking wreaking havoc on humanity. He was a wanted man by that time, as well as Lazarus, with a price on their heads. His public popularity had gained so much momentum that, frankly, the religious leaders were jealous. They were losing their members of the church to this young upstart. And they didn't like it one bit, so they had to get rid of him. The religious political leaders were losing popularity. Their show was a no-go when Jesus was around. He knew the public ride would seal his fate. He knew that he would be arrested and tried. He knew that he would be found guilty of treason against God. And he knew he would be crucified and killed. And Jesus rode anyway. Because he knew it was the only way to show humanity the way to salvation. It wasn't just any public ride. It was a reenactment intentionally of Zechariah 9.9. Riding into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. The child of a donkey. Riding on the donkey was a symbol for the common people and the poor. That a humble servant leader was coming to town to be with them. Full of peace, careful and cautious, No intent of war, no violence, no killing. Jesus, as the symbol writing that document, only purpose was shalom, to bring good to humanity. Zechariah talks about the celebration of the daughter of Zion. A metaphor that's not about the sons of Zion or the fathers of Zion, it's about the daughters of Zion. Zechariah had a twist, and that is, you aren't really where God wants you to be until you've given up your powerful position as a father or as a son, and you've identified with all the daughters in the land. Jesus was openly identifying, particularly with the ones who were most vulnerable, the children and the women. 
the fathers of the religion didn't like it one bit. And they were planning to get rid of this person who was turning their religion upside down. We must remember that God loves everybody. God especially loves the vulnerable and the poor and the weak. And still in the world today, it's children, girls, and women. People recognized what was happening when Jesus started riding that donkey into Jerusalem. And they began to chant Psalm 118. Hosanna, made of two words, Yosha Anna. Save, we pray. Save, we beg. Save us, deliver us. And there is a twofold impact to that song. Don't just deliver us from Rome, but deliver us from those oppressive religious leaders. We must remember that that save us wasn't just about Roman occupation, it was about the bad patterns of religious leadership. Deliver us, Lord. People crying out for freedom from an enslaving religion and an oppressive empire. That whole movement from Palm Sunday to Good Friday is the movement of palms to passion. Some churches today only celebrate the palms. In this church's tradition and in many Presbyterian churches, we recognize the palms were the beginning of the passion that's happening simultaneous to the seeming victory of Jesus was this undercurrent that would destroy him. There are so many motions like that in the world. In the face of victory, the undercurrents of insidious destruction are conspiring to take it away. Underneath the victory is an imminent danger of pending pain and loss of life. Jesus is writing not to the glory of the people, but to his own death, and he knows it. And so he is silent. He's very much aware that that freedom ride is going to be trouble. Galatians tells us at the heart of the book, for freedom Christ has set us free. But there's a price to be paid for the freedom. We all know that. We affirm it on a regular basis. People have to lay down their lives so other people can be free. And that is at the heart of the gospel, that Jesus gave us life that we might have freedom. And Jesus does it for us and then encourages us to do it for others. And so people do take freedom rides. People do have confrontations with authorities, with organizations that don't want that to happen, with people who don't want you to have that success. They will do everything within their power to undermine your possible message. And it isn't just Jesus being undermined. It is anybody who takes this call seriously, even today, 
If you take Jesus' call seriously, there will be people around you who do not want you to be successful with it because it undermines their power. According to Galatians chapter 6, there are many people who want to look good and show good. And they want you to be with them on their team. But they want you to be there so that you can make them look good. There are churches like that. I grew up in the evangelical tradition. How many people did you win to Jesus today? Two. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't qualify for our club of ten. You haven't performed well enough to make it. Those who want to show good by keeping you in their control so they can boast about you being on their team. You're one of us. And if you cross us, you're out of here. But Paul said, I would only boast in the cross of Christ. And that's a willingness to refuse to try to run other people's lives. I lay down my life refusing to control yours. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, said there's two great qualities of leadership. There's humility for oneself, and there's passion for the greater purpose. And in Jesus, we see that wonderful, great leadership. Humility for himself, and an ultimate passion to die that others might live. Jesus on Palm Sunday, humble. In Holy Week, moving toward a criminal's scandalous death on a cross. How can we live this out? Yesterday, one of our members, Rick Shoemaker, he didn't know I was going to use this, so Rick, you're here today, right? He's right over there. This is, by the way, not trying to parade him in public and say he's on my team, okay? <clears throat> but he put out an article called The Purple Church. Now, we've been through Lent, and a lot of us wear purple in Lent, and purple takes on a double entendre for Lent. A church that's willing to have both Republicans and Democrats in the same congregation. You put those two together, red and blue, and what do you come up with? Purple. Now, some people think that's because you're black and blue and you're bruised. Well, you might be. But there is great freedom in a purple church. There's not as much freedom in an all-red church or an all-blue church. You think you've got freedom because nobody disagrees with you. I want to be with people who only agree with me. Can you imagine Jesus saying that himself? He surely didn't say that on Palm Sunday. No, the purple church is where the people of God find a place to disagree with each other and still love each other in intentional ways. So Rick, thank you for that article. I hope our session will read it.
Purple is that place of suffering and sacrifice and struggle in the dissonance and the difference. Palm week, passion week, is about learning to move toward the struggle and the sacrifice to lay down our lives for our enemies. Our country desperately needs that kind of attitude. A little bit later, you're going to hear Michael Card's song, Ride On to Die. Talking about the daughter of Zion, the vulnerable people, the little cult, and all the shouting of the people, and Jesus riding on in silence because he's cursed. There are a lot of people who want him dead. You haven't really lived in Christ until your life's been threatened, until you've taken your freedom ride and the authorities are after you. God help us to be willing to go there at the right time. Because for many of us, it's unbelievable that we might consider it. Jesus' road is a road to freedom for all of us. He rode for us, and he asked us to ride for each other. Let us pray. O Lord, help us to be willing to follow you and to take our venture into the world of dissonance and disagreement, into the world of hostility and vindictiveness, when people don't want us to succeed because it's against them. Oh Lord, teach us humility, a strong ability to listen and to not be judgmental, but bring our bodies as living sacrifices on the way to your cross. Through Christ, amen.